Amen. Let's pray together. Well, dear Lord Jesus, we do thank you for that wonderful, wondrous cross. The cross on which you went to die for us. As a sacrifice for us. Lord, we remember that here tonight as we come to the communion table in a few moments. Remembering what you did for us, your body broken and your blood shed. We are so grateful. And Lord, as we prepare ourselves this Lenten season, as we take time over the next number of days and weeks to look inward at our own selves of how we can remove those things in our own life that separate us from you, Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts here even tonight. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures and how they speak so wonderfully about the issues that we face every day. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful for the example that you set when being tempted and how to avoid those things. Lord, thank you. Speak to us now, Lord. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. That you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good evening, Christ Church. It is uh, wonderful as we uh, embark on this series here on Wednesday nights, Give It Up. You know, we're going to continue in our uh, series on Sunday morning uh, as we continue in our series that you may believe as we go through the Gospel of John. But over the next number of weeks on Wednesday nights, we're going to uh, touch on this area, Give It Up. Now, some asked uh, me when I came up with this title, do you mean give, give it up as in give up those vices or give up those things to God? The answer is yes, all those. You know, when I was looking at this series, you know, one of the things that kept coming to mind are, you know, we often give things up for Lent. Those things are good. We often give up simple things, chocolate, uh, sugars. Uh, special drinks. Those of us that don't want to give up all our sugars just say chocolate, so that at least gives us the freedom to have other indulgences. But we give up various things through Lent. Why? Because it reminds us every time we have the cravings or needs or desires for those things as a time of prayer, it's a time of fasting. You know, and as Pastor Barry already alluded to, the reason that we have Ash Wednesday is because it's 46 days prior to Easter, 40 days, the same amount of time that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. We don't count Sundays because Sundays is not a day of fasting. So we have 46. That's why it always ends up on a Wednesday. And so we take the time to remember those things, a time of repentance. In fact, the traditional ashes that you are to place in your heads for Ash Wednesday are the ashes that are to be used from the palms from last year's Palm Sunday. They're traditionally burned, and you use those palm ashes to put on your forehead as a, as a sign of repentance. And so we look at that over the next few weeks, those areas of life that become vices for us. It's not chocolate. It's not necessarily certain drinks or certain activities, but they're various things that we all encounter. And you'll see in your service sheets all those things listed over the next few weeks, giving up worry and fear. How many of us deal with worry and fear? Pride and self-centeredness, greed and covetousness. How many of us deal with greed or pride? Giving up laziness and complacency. How many times have we lived lives of laziness and complacency? Giving up anger and resentment. These are deep issues. These are deep issues. 
And in fact, a recent survey I read in a discipleship journal, the uh, readers ranked areas of greatest spiritual challenges to them. And they listed them in order. Materialism was one. Pride was number two. Self-centeredness, three. Four was laziness. Five was anger and bitterness tied with lust. Seven was envy. Eight was gluttony. Nine was lying. The survey responded noted that the temptations were more potent when they neglected their time with God. 81% of people said, every time I neglect my time with God, these temptations become harder. 57% said, when I'm physically tired, they, I give in to them more. Resisting temptation is easier accomplished with prayer, 84% said. And avoiding those compromising situations, 76%. Bible study was 66% of folks saying that's how they avoided various temptations or not giving in. And being more accountable to somebody was 52%. So it's clear that many of us deal with various issues in life. And maybe it's not just one or two or three of those things, but from time to time, isn't it true that we all deal with various issues? Whether it's pride or greed or, or lust or materialism or envy or anger, we all deal with them. And so we got to know first, before we dive into it, how to get out of it. Because it does us no good to talk about those things if we first don't look at the ultimate example, that of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we do. We read that here this evening, Matthew's passage of Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted. And we look at that in three parts here this evening quickly. The preparation that happens. The temptation that was there. And the celebration that is to come. The preparation, the temptation, and then the celebration. So as we look at the preparation, if you have your service sheet to your Bibles, we look at verse 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, I actually had the opportunity a few years ago to be in Israel and go to this very place. So it was on the outskirts of Jericho. It was near the Dead Sea. And I remember being so hot that day that I couldn't even bear to be outside the bus for very long. And I remember getting outside the bus when we, uh, we came up from the Dead Sea, pulled up to Jericho, we came through Jericho, and we got off the bus, and there was a sign there. It said, the wilderness where Jesus was tempted. I thought, well, that's an accurate description. That's pretty clear of what that is. And I asked our tour guide, where? He said, right there. I said, there's nothing there. He said, I know. That's why they call it the wilderness. There was nothing there. It was just a vast place of desert and sparsely dense trees here and there. And I thought, man, how could anybody survive 40 days and 40 nights there? I could barely spend four minutes outside the bus. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights there in this wilderness. But you have to understand, before he was even tempted, there was the preparation. You see, this temptation, before we even get into it, you have to understand it comes right after his time of baptism. It was right after his baptism that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You see, it's one thing to proclaim to be king, as Jesus did. It's something else to prove it. It's in the baptism that it was the proclamation. Here's the proof. In the baptism, it was the Spirit saying it was anointing him as king and the Father proclaiming him as the one fitting to be worthy of king. But here is the one proclaimed, proven to be the king, the worthy one, as he enters into the wilderness. See, you must not only declare to be king, he must demonstrate it as well. The baptism declared it. 
The, demon, the testing demonstrates it as he goes into the wilderness. That's the preparation. God said, He's the, this is my beloved son, the one I'm whom pleased. Could he live up to God's word? So he now goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now let me just say a, a moment about the devil. Many people would say there is no such thing as the devil or a personal devil or an attack by the devil. And I got to tell you, you're going to have to get over that because right now, right here, it's very clear that there is a very real and personal devil that Jesus was wrestling with, that was attacking Jesus. There is a devil out there, and he wants to tempt us into evil. That's his ultimate plan, is disrupt people from knowing and loving our Lord Jesus. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about us. He just cares that we don't come into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was cast out of heaven. He's full of envy, full of fury. His hatred is directed towards God. It's against Jesus, and he uses people as pawns. People don't matter. They are means to his end. He wants to wrestle them out of the hand of God. And that's what Jesus dealt with, and that's what we deal with. So Jesus is there as the wilderness being tempted by the devil. That, that word there, tempted, is, a, is an interesting word because it's often filled with negative connotations, isn't it? Often filled with negative connotations. When we use the word tempt, we, we always think of the negative. I know many years ago there was a show where they brought a bunch of singles and they put them on an island and called it Temptation Island. I, we didn't need any other description. You knew that was going to be a negative, bad place. But you've got to understand, the original word in Greek doesn't necessarily have the connotation of negative. It also can be positive as well. And let me show you the difference, because many people will ask this question, especially as we get to things about anger and bitterness and resentment and greed and all those other things that we deal with, laziness, fear, worry. The question comes up often, why is God tempting me? Look at James 1, 13 through 15. It's on the screens. It says, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, God allows a test to prove righteousness. God never entices anyone to sin. You see, from Satan's viewpoint, it's a temptation. From God's viewpoint, it's a test. Look at your own life. When my children come home and take a test, the answer is, did they pass or did they fail? When we are tempted with various things, the question is, did you pass or did you fail? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for a test. The devil was there for the temptation. That's the difference. He passed the test. He passed the test. Satan was defeated. See, oftentimes we think, how could God be tempting me? How could God be tempting me? But you have to understand that that is a test to prove whether you're righteous or unrighteous. That's what Jesus proved when he went into the wilderness. And the wonderful thing about it is he conquered it. He conquered it. He 
passed the test. And that's my hope and prayer as we go through this series. There was a story of the Union Pacific Railroad was being constructed. Now remember the Union Pacific Railroad. An elaborate uh, bridge was built across a large canyon in the west. Wanting to test the bridge, the builder loaded a train with enough extra cars and equipment to double its normal payload. The train was then driven over the middle of the bridge where it stayed an entire day. True story. And one worker asked, are you trying to break the bridge? No, the builder replied. I'm trying to prove the bridge won't break. In the same way, the temptations Jesus faced were designed to see if he would sin, and he proved he wouldn't. So that's the preparation. It was the time of the greatest moment as Jesus, after his baptism, as he's entering in a time of ministry, it was the height of his ministry. He's now baptized. He's going to go into ministry. And the first thing that happens is the temptation. Isn't it amazing that how many times that when we enter into something big or, or we think God's going to use us mightily, then that's when the temptation comes. That's when the trials hit. That's the preparation. So now we look at the temptations. What are the temptations? Look at temptation number one. Verse 2, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, people often look at this and say, well, the temptation was the temptation of the flesh for food. But after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, wasn't he? I got hungry driving from the Dead Sea just to Jericho. And that was only like two hours. Jesus was in there for 40 days and 40 nights. Of course he's going to be hungry. Of course he's going to be hungry. He hungered. And that's true. And in a sense, the flesh is involved. But it was only a temptation of the flesh. It was a temptation more than that. What's wrong with eating? The temptation for his physical need... That wasn't the only temptation. That's what you need to understand. There's another way to look at this. Satan's temptation may have been worded like this. Had God not said to you, thou art my beloved son in whom I'm pleased, did he not say that you're baptized? Did not God say you were my beloved son? He's telling Jesus whom he was well pleased. Now he's leaving you to starve to death. Satan, in a sense, is telling Jesus, listen, if you're God's beloved son, then why are you in the wilderness suffering like this? Why don't you just turn the stones to bread? You must have physical needs. Listen, the point of the temptation was not in feeding the hunger, but was the suggestion that his hunger was incompatible with his being. In other words, Satan was saying, not say, Satan was not saying, just have some food. He was saying, you better second-guess God. If he's your beloved son, and he loves you, why are you out here suffering? You better question God. You better question God and whether or not he's going to provide for you. You better question God on whether or not he's actually going to supply your needs. So the temptation wasn't just for food. The temptation was really to distrust God's provision for Jesus in the wilderness. How often do we do that? How often do we need something in life and then 
wonder if God's going to show up. You know, the same thing happened at the cross. People said, if you're the son of God, what are you doing up there? Don't wait for God. People were telling Jesus on the cross, why didn't you come down from there? You see, when Adam, the very first Adam, failed when it came to the fruit, he picked the fruit in the Garden of Eden. This Adam, Jesus, the last Adam, didn't blow it with the bread. The temptation was far beyond the food. The point of this was he wanted to make Jesus distrust his father's care. So what does Jesus say in response? He says, man shall not live on bread alone. Well, what do we think of when we read that passage from Deuteronomy? It's about Moses. Moses in the wilderness, and people are grumbling and complaining, saying God isn't providing for us. He doesn't provide what we need. He doesn't provide the food that we need. And Moses says, listen, man should not live on bread alone. Jesus is saying, man should not live on bread alone. You don't need to mistrust God. You don't need to go through life going, I wonder if he'll ever provide for me. That's why Matthew 6.33 is so powerful. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things will be added to you. It wasn't the temptation only for the food. It was a temptation of the flesh to distrust God providing the basic needs for him. It's temptation number one. People in the Corinthian church had the same problem. They were gluttonous at the, at the table. They were drunk. They were committing sexual immorality. And Paul was saying, listen, because of this, some of you are weak and sickly. Some of you are dead. It's God who gives you life. So that's the first temptation. The temptation of the flesh to mistrust God. So then temptation two comes. Look at verse five. It says, then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. It says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command the angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands and so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a real subtle temptation, isn't it? It's real subtle. Satan looks at Jesus and says, okay, you're going to trust God. If you're going to trust God for all your provisions, then why don't you prove it? Why don't you prove it? I'm going to take you up to the highest point. If you're going to trust God to provide everything you need, all your provisions, all your physical, anything physical, you're going to trust God, then why don't we test him? Let's take you up to the highest point and throw yourself off. He says, I'm going to bypass God and test him. See, he eliminated the first problem of temptation. He offered this option. If you're, son, if you're the son and you trust God, why don't we put him to the test? See, in the first temptation, a peril existed. In the second one, he's creating it. Jesus knows you never put God to the test. You never put God to the test. Faith which depends on signs and sensations isn't faith at all, is it? It's just doubt looking for proof. Faith can't believe without sensation. It's not faith at all. Jesus refused that. He knew God not only was going to provide for him, but he wasn't going to test him either. He wasn't going to test him. So then Satan moves on to temptation number three. Verse eight says, again, the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So first of all, he tempts him whether or not he's going to trust the Father's will. Then he tempts him to presume the Father's will. Now he says, now I'm going to give you your Father's will. I'm going to tell you everything that you need and everything you want. All you need to do is ask. Just go about it my way. Just go about it my way. I'll give you what you want. You want this, to look down on all this and have this? Just bow before me. If you want to have all that, just worship me. If you want to have a nice car, just worship the money that you have. If you want to have all these possessions, just worship your job. If you want to have it all. Just worship yourself. Just promote yourself. That's all you need. If you trust the Father, if you don't presume the Father's will, how about you invoke the Father's will? Temptation number three. What do we learn here? First, we learn to the distrust of God's providential care of God. That's the first temptation. Take up your problems. Get your own answers. If you want something, if your body's craving something, go for it. Then he tempts us, Satan tempts us, to presume God's care. We do this often, don't we? When we say, well, if I just give in to the sin, it's okay because, what? I'm covered by the blood. God will forgive me. I'm saved forever forever. We presume to be in God's care. And thirdly, Satan tempts us to fulfill our ambitions ourselves. So what do we have when we look at these three temptations? We have every temptation known to man. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Those are the three areas that Satan attacks Every single time. First of all, distrusting the providential care of God. Then presuming on God by appealing to his grace. And thirdly, tempting our own ambitions to fulfill the goals that God already promised you on our own terms. That's it. Those are all the temptations in all life that we're tempted with. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. And it's the pride of life. First off, Satan says, you're hungry, grab that satisfaction. He says, listen, if you're desiring sexual fulfillment, grab that fulfillment. What is that? It's the lust of the flesh. If you want something, just grab it. Your body needs it. That alcohol that's there, your body needs it. That drug that's there, your body needs it. What is that? That's the lust of the flesh. Then he takes him up to a pinnacle. It says, throw yourself down. You'll be the hero. Instant prestige. You'll be somebody. You'll have it all. What's that? It's the pride of life. The pride of life. I'll have it all. And then look at the grandeur. Look at it all around you. What is that? It's the lust of the eyes. So when Satan's saying, bow down before me, God will take care of you if you just throw yourself off. 
The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, I, for many years I wondered, I, you know, if the Bible is very clear that we have a high priest who emphasizes with our weakness, but he's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he didn't sin. How does Jesus relate to the things that I'm dealing with? How does he relate to the issues that I face day in and day out? I remember many, many years ago, uh, we had first got married, my wife and I didn't have a whole lot of money and wondering, you know, how am I ever going to pay this bill? And I remember coming home and being very concerned about this. We had a huge bill and we were wondering, how are we going to pay for this? And I remember thinking, you know, how does Jesus even relate to me on this? Because he never had to deal with the money issue. He never had to worry about whether or not he was going to have enough, or did he? The lust of the flesh. Is God really going to care for me? See, all these things, all these areas of life, these these things that we get into, Jesus understands because he's been there. You see, oftentimes we think about it in the terms of the specifics. We think about the details. But Jesus, God's looking at the categories. We look at the fine things of life, the little things, the specifics. He's looking at the general things. We say, well, listen, he's not going to deal with the same kind of thing that I'm dealing with. He's not going to deal with temptation with women or men. Lust of the flesh. He's not dealing in the details. He's dealing in the categories. And so because of that, we can have full assurance and confidence that Jesus dealt with everything that we ever have. We have a high priest. He's able to emphasize with us as we go through life, as we deal with anger and bitterness and rage and lust, as we deal with laziness and contentment, as we deal with pride. We can stand here and say, you know what, Jesus, you dealt with all these things, not in the specifics, but in the categories. And so you understand what I'm going through. Now I need your help. And guess what? He's there. Because that's where the celebration comes. Verse 11. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Oh, how wonderful. How wonderful is that to know that when we're faced with a a trial and Satan comes with a temptation that we're able to resist. We're able to resist. So what's the application? First off, you have to understand, look for those temptations at the high points of your life. When things are going well in life, when you feel like, hey, I'm really on to something, or things are going very uh, clearly, I can see the path God has in front of me. If you're getting involved in a ministry or, or saying, you know what, God, I really want to use my gifts, that's when the temptations will come. Be aware of that. Secondly, be aware of times of weakness. When we're in evil surroundings. Jesus was weak and tired and hungry, and that's when the temptation comes. Oftentimes we get frustrated or we get stressed or we get lonely. That's when the temptation comes. It's not when we're having good days, not when things are going well. It's when we're having the rough days, when we're having trouble getting out of bed because of the anxieties we have or the worries we have or, or when the bill comes and we get frustrated that we don't have enough. That's when the temptation comes. Be mindful of that. Third, Watch for the subtle temptations. The subtle temptations. Satan's very subtle, isn't he? He's very subtle. Hey, you need this. Does God really love you? If God really loved you, he'd give you this anyway. That's a subtle temptation. Be aware of those things. says the devil roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And finally, you've got to give up control. 
You got to give up control. You got to give up when we're dealing with these things over the next number of weeks as they're going to hit us left and right. You got to give up the control that you can do it on your own. That we can, that we can just get through it. That we're strong enough that we've been through some tough times and, and we just, we're just going to plow through these temptations and, and I'll be okay. You got to give up control. Because even the Lord Jesus, what did he use? He used scripture to combat the temptation he was in. He kept his eyes firmly fixed on the Father. And what's wonderful, what celebration there is, is that when those things come about, when we keep our eyes fixed on the Father, that we can get through them. That we can get through them and we can conquer them. And the wonderful thing about it is the devil will leave. The devil will leave. He may come back. And we fight it again. But we'll have victory every time if we keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Father. We're going to come and prepare our hearts for communion here as we keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Father, as we remember what He did for us, sending His Son to die on the cross for us. And I'll leave you with this. I heard a pastor once tell his congregation about a man who had a dog. And the man was trying, trying to train his dog to be obedient. And so what he would do is he would take a large piece of meat and he would put it in front of the dog. A good, red, juicy piece of meat. And he'd put it right in the front of the floor, in front of the dog, and he would say, no. Well, of course, the first few times, the no was an irrelevant suggestion, wasn't it? The dog just grabbed that meat, started chowing down. The dog just went after it. But after a while, he would say no, and the dog wouldn't eat the meat. But the, but the man noticed something. He noticed that the dog got to the point of not even looking at the meat. He would put the meat on the floor and the dog never for a moment focused on the meat. He would always look at his master. And he would wait, seemingly wait. Because he knew if he looked at the meat, the temptation was too great. But if he just maintained that steadfast look on the father... He was able to avoid it and conquer it. What a great illustration for us as we keep our eyes firmly fixed on our Father who loves us, who cares for us, loves us so much that he sent his Son to die in our place. It's a great thing as we come and remember what he did for us on the cross. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from this passage about temptation, about the temptations that you faced, that we face, that you know us, you love us because you've been through it all. You've been through all those temptations. So you understand when we're going through them. You understand when we struggle with them in the, in the dark of the night, maybe in the light of day. Maybe when we're home alone or where we're laying in bed and we're wrestling with these anxieties or fears or when we're at work or with our families and we're angry, we have resentment. You understand, you love us and you give us a way out. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you, you give us the power to conquer the devil. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the lesson you taught us as we remember that, as we give our lives to you and remember what you did for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus.